Good morning. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruits unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you, if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home with you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourself at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. The word of God for the people of God. So a few years ago, a man was walking along a beach in New Zealand when he came across a a pair of stranded whales. You know, the whales had somehow managed to get themselves beached up on the shore. They were still alive, but they were, they were clearly in distress. They were arching their backs, and they were making sort of clicking and whistling noises. Well, this man wanted to help, but he knew that he couldn't do this all by himself. The, the whales were pygmy sperm whales, which are, are small for a whale, but it's still a big animal. A, a pygmy sperm whale can grow to be up to 11 feet long. It can weigh close to 1,000 pounds. And so this man knew that he was going to need help, and so he ran off to to bring back one of his neighbors. He found a a friend. And then together, the two men started working to try to to free these stranded whales. They pushed and they pulled and they dug and they rolled. And as they worked there to free the whales, a a group of other people joined in. As people passed along the beach, they stopped to, to see if they could help. And it got to the point where these two whales were surrounded by a crowd of people pushing and pulling and digging and rolling, trying to set them free. And then finally, there came a moment when with one big heave, suddenly the the whales were free, they were released, and the the crowd of people clapped their hands and they celebrated as they watched the whales turn around and and swim away from the beach. They jumped up and down and they, they celebrated, and then they watched in horror as the two whales promptly beached themselves on a sandbar that was right there opposite the beach. There was a long sandbar that ran parallel to the beach, a long, shallow sandbar, and and it was cutting the whales off from the ocean. The whales swam away from the beach, and they got stuck right up on the, the sandbar. Well, the people in the crowd, they weren't about to give up, and so they splashed their way out to where the whales were, and again, they started pushing and pulling and digging and rolling, and they worked, and they worked together, 
together. And finally, they were able to pull those whales back off the sandbar. And then they made noise. They shouted. They splashed. They tried to, to drive the whales, steer the whales away from the sandbar. But the, at this point, the, the whales were so confused and stressed out and disoriented that instead of swimming along the beach to safety, they turned around and swam right back up on that sandbar. And they got themselves stuck again. And so once again, the people dug them out. And once again, the whales stranded themselves on the sandbar. This happened over and over and over again until finally the people were hopeless and exhausted. And instead of talking about freeing the whales, they started talking about putting the whales out of their misery. They said, listen, better for them to die quickly than for them to die a a slow and painful death stuck here on the beach. The people in the crowd had just, just decided that the best thing they could do was to put the whales out of their misery when all of a sudden a hero arrived. A bottlenose dolphin came rocketing along the beach through the water. Now, the people there at the beach, they, they knew this dolphin. Her name was Moko. She was a, a familiar character there at the beach. Years earlier, Moko, the dolphin, had, had somehow been separated from her pod, and, and she decided to adopt the people there at the beach as her new family. And so for years, Moko, the dolphin, had been living and hanging out there at the beach, and, and she did all sorts of things that were sort of unusual for a dolphin. She loved to splash and play around with people who were swimming in the water. She would swim up to boats and she would wait for people to give her pats on the head. She would push kayaks around with her nose there at the beach. People there at the beach had seen Moko do all sorts of remarkable things, but they had never, never seen her do anything like what Moko the dolphin did next. Moko swam right up to those two whales. She put herself in between the people and the whales and then Moko the dolphin started chattering, chattering like dolphins do like Flipper used to do on on the TV show, chattering at those whales. And then the whales started whistling and clicking. And it was as if the whales and the dolphin were having some sort of conversation. And then a sort of miracle happened. Moko, the dolphin, turned around and started swimming along the beach. And, And the two whales, they turned and they followed her. They started swimming along the beach between the beach and the sandbar. They swam along together for about 200 yards to a a place where there was a break in the sandbar. There was a shallow channel, a narrow channel that led through the sandbar out to the sea. Moko the dolphin turned and swam through that channel and the whales turned and they swam through the channel after Moko the dolphin. People who were there that day said it was as if Moko had taken them by the hand and led them, led them to freedom. The, The whales swam off into the ocean. They were never seen again. Moko the dolphin went right back to splashing around and and playing with people there at the beach. For the people who were there that day, it was an unforgettable moment. It was an inspiring example of one living thing reaching out to, to give aid and assistance to another living thing. For the people who were there that day at the beach, this was one of the most inspiring things they had ever witnessed. But for scientists, for biologists, for evolutionary biologists in particular, this moment with Moko and the dolphins was more than inspiring. It was it was a riddle. It was a puzzle. It was a mystery waiting to be solved because, you see, evolutionary biology does not have a good way of explaining what happened there on the beach that day. As a matter of fact, according to the rules of evolutionary biology, what happened there at the beach that day, one living thing reaching out to help a completely different kind of living thing should, should not happen. 
Now, the rules of evolutionary biology haven't changed in more than 100 years. The, the rules of evolutionary biology go all the way back to, to Charles Darwin. You remember Charles Darwin. 150, 160 years ago, Charles Darwin went on this epic voyage all around the world. And, and everywhere he went, he paid attention to the different kinds of living things that he encountered on this journey. He studied the, the great variety of living creatures that he met along the way. He studied them minutely. He drew pictures in his journal, took, took observations of every variation, every difference he found. He was astonished. He was astounded by the sheer variety of different kinds of living things that exist in this world. And as Charles Darwin traveled around the world, he, he became convinced, he came to believe that all of these differences, all of this variation could be accounted for through a, a simple process of natural selection. This, according to Charles Darwin, this is how the world works. Every morning, all the animals get out of bed and they all try to eat one another. The lion gets out of bed and goes chasing after the gazelle. And, and the weakest lions, they don't catch gazelles and so they starve. And the slowest gazelles, they get caught by lions and they get eaten so that only the strongest lions, only the fastest gazelles live to see another day. They're the ones who pass their genes on to the next generation. And so generation after generation, the strongest lions and the fastest gazelles survive. And slowly over time, lions get stronger and stronger and gazelles get faster and faster. This, Darwin says, is, is how the world works. You either eat or you get eaten. Darwin came to the conclusion through his travels that the world is a, a dark and cruel and bleak and violent and uncaring sort of a place. As a matter of fact, Darwin's, Darwin's way of looking at the world was so dark and so bleak and so violent that eventually this, this way of looking at the world caused him to lose his faith. Charles Darwin finally decided that he just couldn't believe that such a cruel and cold and violent and uncaring world could possibly have been created by a, a kind and good and a loving God. And so he chose to, to stop believing in God. Now, Darwin's ideas were, were compelling, and they were powerful and elegant and simple, and they were supported by mountains and mountains of evidence that tell us that life does evolve slowly, gradually, generation by generation throughout all of time. And so Darwin's idea, his way of looking at the world, has basically been the way that evolutionary biologists have looked at the world for the last 150 years. Evolutionary biologists believe that this is the way the world, world works. Everything tries to eat everything else and only only the strong survive but there was one puzzle that Darwin could never quite solve there was one one thing he observed in the world that he could never quite fit into his theory of of natural selection he couldn't understand why every so often as you are looking at the world you suddenly see one animal do something for another animal that is completely unselfish that is generous and even sacrificial he couldn't understand and why sometimes we see an animal doing something that doesn't help it survive, that doesn't help it to reproduce. Why sometimes do we see a dolphin doing something good, seemingly just for the sake of doing something kind and doing something good? This, this puzzle, this thing that didn't fit, it bothered Darwin to the day he died. He never quite could make sense of it. And, and since the death of Darwin, science has only discovered more and more examples in our world of living things doing kind 
kind and generous and unselfish things for one another. My favorite example is the story of, of an animal called Dictyostelium discoidium. I nailed that. I worked so hard <laughs> this week on, on saying that correctly. I, I, I'm so proud of myself. I'm going to do it again. Dictyostelium discoidium, right? So, so Dictyostelium discoidium, if that's too much of a mouthful, you can call it by, by its more common name. The more common name of Dictyostelium discoidium is slime mold, right? Now, now that tells you, that name, slime mold, tells you just about everything you need to know about where Dictyostelium discoidium fits in the grand scheme of things, right? It is the lowliest of the low. It is the most humble of all God's creatures. Slime mold is a, a, a microscopic, single-celled amoeba, a little blob of an organism. Uh, slime mold amoebas like to live in, in dark and damp places like the pile of leaves that's accumulating in your backyard right now. And, and most of the time, slime mold amoebas live a, a, a happy and solitary ex- lifestyle. They, they just sort of go along under the leaves, munching on whatever food they can find. But when they start to run out of food, when they, they suddenly find themselves living in a moment when, when resources are scarce, that's when the, the slime mold amoeba does something that's truly remarkable. When it starts to run out of food, the slime mold amoeba starts sending out a, a, a chemical signal, sort of a, 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 a slime mold bat signal, a cry for help, an emergency call. And, and when other slime mold amoebas get that signal, they too start sending out this, this distress call. And all All of the amoebas who receive this distress call, they start slowly migrating towards a sort of a central gathering point. They all start converging towards each other. And when they all arrive at this central gathering point, an incredible transformation happens. These amoebas begin to latch on to each other. They start to glue themselves to one another by the thousands and by the hundreds of thousands until suddenly what was a collection of single-celled blobby little organisms becomes one one great big multicellular organism. They transform into a, a giant slug, kind of like Voltron. They all come together to form one, one bigger creature. And then this slug, it goes crawling off. It goes sliding and sliming its way along the ground until it comes to just the right sort of place. And when it arrives at just the right sort of place, then another remarkable transformation takes place. First, when it reaches the, the right sort of place, this slug flattens out like a pancake. And then a sort of a bump begins to develop in the middle of that pancake. Scientists, this is for real, scientists call this the sombrero phase of the slime mold's development, right? That bump, that bump grows taller and taller and thinner and thinner until there's a kind of a stem sticking up out of the middle of the pancake. And then the amoebas who are making up that stem, they harden their bodies and become a kind of stalk. And then all of the other amoebas at the bottom of the pancake slowly start crawling their way up to the top of the stalk. They climb and they climb and they climb until all of the amoebas are gathered at the top of this stem. Picture something like a a lollipop with a long skinny stem and a blob of amoebas at the top of it. And then when all of the amoebas have reached the top of this stem, they do something incredible. They start ungluing themselves from each other and jumping off into the air. They launch themselves out into the wind and they let the wind carry them like like dandelion fluff off to some place where the pastures are greener. They float away as, as spores to make a new life somewhere else. They jump and they jump and they jump until only, only the stalk is left. Only the stem is left. And then those amoebas who are, are left behind, the amoebas who have made up the stalk, the stem, they simply die. 
Their work is done. They have sacrificed their lives so that all of the other amoebas can live. They end their lives in one act of supreme unselfishness. And this is a slime mold. We see this kind of generosity and sacrificial behavior in the lowest of the lowliest of all of God's creatures. Scientists now have discovered so many examples of this sort of thing happening in nature that they have finally started to rethink Charles Darwin's way of looking at the world. No longer, many evolutionary biologists will say, no longer do we believe that it's the strong who survive to the end of the day. No longer do we believe that the the animals who go on living, the animals who pass on their genes from generation to generation, are the animals with the biggest muscles and the sharpest claws. Now, many evolutionary biologists will say, now we believe that the animals who thrive, the animals who are most truly alive, the living things that that succeed in this world are those living things who have learned to work together in community. They are the living things who have learned to cooperate. They are the living things who have learned to be in relationship with all of the other living things around them. Jesus, in this morning's gospel reading, Jesus says it this way. He says, the greatest commandment The commandment that is greater than every other commandment, the commandment on which every other commandment sits is this, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Give your lives for one another. Put your lives on the line for one another. If you do this, you will live. If you do this, you will thrive. If you do this, you will take hold of the life that is truly life. And even if you die, yet shall you live, Jesus says. But whatever does not have love, Whoever does not act in an unselfish and kind and generous way, my father, the gardener, the master farmer, will come along and will trim that branch from the tree because it doesn't bear any fruit. And and something new and something alive will spring up in its place. If you want to understand the, the meaning of life, If you want to know the the purpose of our existence, if you want to understand why God put us here on this earth, what we're here to do, it's not hard to understand. Jesus sums it up in a single sentence. It's so so simple that even Moko the dolphin understands it. It's so so natural and elegant and and elemental that even the humble slime mold gets it. The, The purpose of our existence, the meaning of life, is very simply this. Love one another. Take people by the hand and lead them to freedom. Become the stock that others climb up to new life. Give your life for one another. Put your life on the line for one another and you you will live. Let's pray. God, we pray. We pray that you would give us the life that is truly life. God, we pray that you would help us to discover the life that is called eternal. God, give us the courage to live as the slime mold lives and die as the slime mold dies. God, give us the generous spirit of a a moco the dolphin. God, in a a dog-eat-dog world, make us a, a shining example of what true community can be. A community of open doors, a community of open hearts, a community of open minds and open arms. God, God, send your generous spirit to this place. In Jesus we pray. Amen.